Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au Praise God. Are we ready? Are we ready for the Word of God? Yeah, we're privileged today um, to have Pastor Bruce Hills with us this morning. It's exciting. And Pastor, just for those that don't know, I mean, he's a friend of the church, been coming for many years. Uh, he is the International Director for World Outreach, which is a missions agency supporting missionaries throughout the world. And uh, we've been supporting that for many years and we'll continue to do that. Bruce has been in full-time ministry for over 30 years. I'm not sure the amount. Uh, he's got a wealth of experience and wisdom. And uh, for nine years, he passed one of Australia's largest churches. He's married, he's got three children, and uh, it's, he's an author, he's an international speaker, he's just come from Europe, just came off the plane, and he's back to Australia to be with us, which is fantastic. So we're privileged to have him, so give him a live church, warm welcome as he comes up. Thank you, really great to be back at Life Church again, I love coming to this church, and uh, always have a great time, and as Pastor Joseph mentioned, I got off the plane Friday morning from the United Kingdom, so I'm mildly jet-lagged. So when we were having worship this morning, I didn't close my eyes, <laughs> just in case I started to dream. Uh, but really great to be with you today. As um, Pastor Joseph mentioned, I look after an organisation called World Outreach International, and your church is with what we're doing across the majority world. Our focus is the unreached people groups of the world. Uh, the world has about 200 countries, but if you forget about the geopolitical states and borders, the world is actually comprised of 17,000 different identifiable ethno-linguistic groups. For example, Indonesia, one country, 767 different people groups in that country. And of those, about 140 are classified as, as unreached. And so our focus is what we call the unreached people groups of the world. And I want to thank this church for your partnership. Last year, when we had the Afghan appeal, and this church gave $10,000 to uh, displaced women and children in, in Kabul. Uh, we have a partner organisation there called, actually I won't mention their names because it'll cause problems if this ever gets out, but we have a partner organisation over there that has been there for some years and was actually registered by the Taliban, which was great. They recognised what they were doing as long as there were no women in leadership. So the women lost their positions. They still keep doing what they were doing before, but without the title. And uh, you made a contribution to help these displaced women and children with education and food and clothing. You made a difference. So, you know, you were talking before about your, your missions offering. Uh, from the other side, I just want to say to you, from those who receive those funds, it goes to real people in real places who are making a difference for the Lord. And you're so close to achieving your goal. And it's not just about money, it's about the people. It's about those who receive those funds as well. So I want to say thank you for that. One of the great things about the last couple of years, one of the few great things about the last few years, is that you know even though we had a pandemic last year, in our organization, we had the highest number of people apply for missionary service ever in one year last year. As a, even though COVID is on, it's made people think about how they're living their life. 
And often when there's an economic downturn, there's always an upsurge in missions. Uh, so it was a great year. And also last year we had the highest number of unreached people groups engaged that we've ever had in a single year. And my point being that even though there's wars and pandemics, God is still at work. Nothing prevents the work or the mission of God uh, from taking place in the world. So I encourage you to get right behind your mission's vision because it's making a difference in real places with real, real people as well. Now, as you know, today is Pentecost Sunday. It's the day that every year we commemorate the day when the Lord Jesus poured out his spirit and then formed the, what we call the church on this day. But we don't just celebrate the day of Pentecost just once a year. We celebrate it every day. We thank God for his presence. And I want to encourage you this morning to have an openness to the spirit, doing new things both in you and through you. What's the point of coming to church if we leave the same way that we came? May we today, in Jesus' name, be open to him to receive something fresh. Okay, well, I've got a real message on my heart this morning, and because time is short, I'm going to get right into that message today. And my message is part sermon, part prophecy, and part prayer. And I'm asking the question today, well, what is the house of God? Over the last few years, there has been quite a big shift in attendance patterns. And a lot of people now are watching online. And hello to all of you and your slippers and coffee um, out there also. And a lot of people have not come back to church. And it asks the question, well, what is the house of God? God has always wanted to be with, with, with his people. He longs to be with his people and for his people to long to be with him. And in the Old Testament, we read of God meeting with his people firstly in a garden and then in a tabernacle and then in a temple. But in the New Testament, through what Jesus has done upon the cross, we can now meet with God anywhere, anytime, any place by the Holy Spirit. But I ask again, well, if that's the case, what is the house of God? Well, in just a moment, I'm going to read to you from a passage of Scripture from Genesis chapter 28, because in this passage is the first reference to the phrase, house of God in the Word of God. And when something is first mentioned in Scripture, it is often significant of what God intended, not what ultimately transpired, but what God intended. So when you have a look at the first mention of something, you find out what God intended. So just before I read the passage, let me just give you the background of the story so you understand the context. Jacob had capitalized upon his older brother Esau's weakness and had deceived him out of his birthright. And then in conspiracy with his mother, Jacob then deceived his father Isaac into receiving Esau's blessing as the firstborn. Consequently, Esau was fueled by bitterness and intended to kill Jacob. So, following his mother's advice and with his father's blessing, Jacob set out from Beersheba to go and visit his uncle Laban in Haran. And Jacob reached a certain place in the middle of the desert that he would later call Bethel, not realizing that he was about to have a dream and that in that dream he would have an encounter with God. And it was during this encounter that he had a revelation of the house of God. I'll read the story to you, then we'll begin to unpack it and apply it to our lives. Verse number 10, Genesis chapter 28, it'll be up here as well, I hope. It says this, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haram. 
And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. And I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and the north and to the south. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this place. And I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome this is place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. And then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house." And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So the first reference to the phrase house of God in scripture, and it's a stone. And we ask the question, well, what a strange house. And the title of my message today is, well, what is the house of God? Number one, the house of God is any place where we meet with God. The house of God is any place where we meet with God. Now remember in the story, Jacob is in the desert and he's using a rock as a pillow. And yet he said, verse number 17, this is none other than the house of God. The first mention of house of God in the Bible, and it's a stone. But importantly, it wasn't the geographical place so much as what happened in that place. Jacob had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on earth all the way to heaven. In verse number 13, it says, And there above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. So it wasn't just the place per se, but it was the place where he met with God. Obviously, the house of God is not necessarily a building. But it's any place where we meet with God and God meets with us. And any and every time God's people gather in his name to meet with him, they form the house of God. The gathering of God's people is the house of God. And it doesn't matter where we meet, how few or how many, as we do so, it is the house of God. And we must align our thinking with the Word of God. We don't go to church. The church comes together. If I say, hello church, how are you? Did you sleep well last night? I'm not talking to the walls. And if they talk to you, have a talk to me at the end of the service uh, at all. But we thank God for, these building, for this building, but these four walls are not the church. 
It is wherever the people of God come together, that is the house of God. And it could be in a great building like this here today. And even though we've got great sound systems and great music and lights when they're working and technology, may we remember today that this building and all that is here do not constitute the house of God. Why? Because the house of God is not necessarily a physical, geographical place But it's the gathering of God's people where he meets with us and we meet with him. It may be in a cathedral. It may be under a tree. It may be when you're alone in in, in your car. But the gathering of God's people, when you meet with him and he meets with you, that is the house of God. One of the most profound experiences I had with God was in a car. A friend and I had just been preaching at a children's camp and we were driving back, back to Melbourne. And uh, we were worshipping, he had some worship music on, and we started to sing along. And all of a sudden, the glory of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, just filled that car. It was wonderful. I'm just so glad my friend, who was driving, didn't close his eyes. And we had this profound experience where we were just filled with the Spirit of God. I would say to you today, friends, on that day, that car was the house of God, because God came and met, met, met with us. And remember that in a New Testament sense also, you are the house of God. You are the temple of God. God lives within you through the person of the Holy Spirit. And Paul also taught that we corporately form the temple of God. And because of the cross and the resurrection and because of the Spirit's indwelling presence, we can now meet with God anywhere, anytime. All we need to do is call upon the name of Jesus. And friends, we are in His presence. So... What is this building? I would suggest it is not a monument, it is an instrument. It is not a boat in which we fish, but a boat from which we are fishing to reach people in Jesus' name. This is a place to meet with God, a place to meet with one another, a place to be encouraged, a place to be refreshed, a place to be equipped, a place to receive empowerment from the Holy Spirit to be a witness for Him. And remembering also the early church did not have permanent buildings for 400 years until Constantine, and yet they turned the world upside down. On the morning of the day of Pentecost, they had 120 people. By the end of that day, they had 3,120 people. Then the scripture goes on to say that the Lord added daily to their number, and within a short time, the book of Acts says that they had grown to 5,000, and then it said that their numbers increased rapidly, and this was before they even had a building. And all I can say, friends, is with all that we have today, how much more could God be doing in us and through us if we really understood what it meant to be the house of God. Number two, we're asking the question, well, if the house of God is not a building, well, what is the house of God? Number two, the house of God is a place of revelation. The house of God is a place of revelation. Let's change gears. So the the revelation of what? What did Jacob receive a revelation of? Well, he received a revelation of the presence of God. And the house of God is where the Lord reveals his presence. Verse 16 reads, When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. Jacob 
had a revelation of the presence of God. And this is my prayer for you, you today. Lord, let everyone who attends the gatherings of this church, whether large or small, formal or informal, may they say, having been with these people, God is in this place. May the small groups, the kids' ministry, the Sunday services be saturated with the presence of the living God. And may this be the reaction of every unconverted person that engages with this church in any shape or form. God is in this place. And even though we have great ministries and programs and systems and songs, may whatever other impressions that people have, may their overwhelming and dominant reality be, God is in this place. And this only comes through worship and praise. Worship and praise that touches God and brings a sense of his presence. Praise and worship that brings a sense of his glory. For whenever the manifest presence of God fills the gathering of God's people, there is revelation, there is encounter, and there is intimacy with God. And may worship and praise characterize this house in Jesus' name. But even more than just a revelation of the presence of God, it was also a place of the revelation of the person of Jesus. A revelation of the person of Jesus. In his dream, Jacob had like a picture or a vision of a stairway that went all the way from earth all the way to heaven. And he saw the angels of God ascending and descending on the stairway. And we have to wait hundreds of years until we find out the meaning of the stairway. And to do so, I need to transport you into the Gospel of John. And in chapter 1, verse number 47, it reads there, When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he, he, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. So Jesus knew everything about him. How do you know me? Verse verse number 48, Nathanael asked. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. So Jesus knew everything about him, but also knew who he was and where he was. But here's the most powerful part of that story. Jesus even knew what he had been thinking. Verse number 49 says, "Then, then, Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. But listen to what Jesus said. Jesus replied, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than these. For I tell you, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Under the fig tree, Nathanael had been meditating on this passage of Jacob's dream. And what was the point that Jesus was trying to make to Nathanael? That he, Jesus, was the foot of the stairway. He was the stairway. The stairway is Jesus. And Jesus was later to say, John 14, verse verse number 6, he said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
And I pray that today when people come into this house where God's people are meeting and maybe they're full of problems and they're full of questions and they're full of emptiness and turmoil and guilt or shame, may they encounter the revelation of God's presence through our praise and our worship and may that lead them to the foot of the stairway who is Jesus. For we declare today there is only one way that people can come to God. There is only one way that people can appropriate the sacrifice that has been made for sin. There is only one mediator or advocate between God and humankind. There is only one way to heaven and his name is Jesus and Jesus is the foot of the stairway. And here is my prayer this morning. May every person who walks into the gathering of God's people here today meet the foot of the stairway. Let every person who calls this church their home be filled with the supernatural fire and zeal by the Spirit of God to tell other people about Jesus. May everyone that's part of this local church be filled with such a burden for the lost, such a passion to reach them, and a commitment to disciple them. May our public and private gatherings reveal Jesus. May Jesus be preached. May Jesus be encountered. May Jesus be glorified. May Jesus be manifest. May Jesus transform people's lives. May Jesus heal the sick bodies. May Jesus deliver people from demonic oppression. May Jesus be seen in our love and felt in our touch and heard in our voices. Let this house of God be filled with the revelation of Jesus. So the house of God was a place of revelation of the presence of God and of the person of Jesus, but it was also a place of revelation of the ministry of angels, a place of revelation of the ministry of angels. Now remember in Jacob's dream, he saw the angels ascending and descending. Jesus is not only the way to God, but Jesus is the way through whom we receive from God. For the angels were ascending and descending. And I want to say, friends, today, I believe in angels. And they're in this meeting right now. And they're ministering to people. And I get really disturbed by some Christians who go, Oh, I saw demons dancing on the platform. Or I saw a demon over this person over here. Anything that causes fear inside of you is not from God. And what we need to do is not focus upon demons, but focus upon Jesus who sends the angels. And who or what are the angels? According to Hebrews 1, verse number 14, it says they are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. And if you have put your faith in Jesus, you are an heir of salvation. And we have angels that guard us. Psalm 91.11 says, He will command His angels concerning you to guard you in all, all your ways. So angels are God's means to watch over, protect, and minister to our lives. So not only do we find Jesus, who is the foot of the stairway, but because of Him, He sends the angels down to look after us and to minister to our lives. And here is my declaration for you today. Even though you may have had an horrific week, and even though today you feel so confused or you may feel so disorientated, when you come into the house of God, may you enter into worship. And through that worship, may you come to the foot of the ladder, who is Jesus. And then as you reach out to Jesus, He will send His angels down and they will minister 
minister to you, sometimes through the preacher, sometimes through the worship, sometimes through a prophecy, sometimes through the encouragement of a fellow believer. But what happens is he sends his angels to minister to your lives. I don't know what you've been through this week, but I want to say to you today, the angels of God are in this place. And even as I'm speaking, they're touching you and the presence of God is flowing through you and he will minister to your lives. I ask again today, what is the good of coming to church if we go home exactly the same way? If you come to a building, that's what will happen. You will leave the same way. If we come and we do not enter into praise and worship, we will leave exactly the same way. If we do not come and encounter Jesus, we will leave exactly the same way that we have come. But when you come to a building that's filled with the presence of God, we will never be the same again. What a place, friends. That is the house of God. But importantly, we do not worship angels, we do not glorify angels, we do not seek angels, we do not focus upon angels, we focus on Jesus who sends the angels. And they are messengers, they are ministering spirits, but the presence and the grace and the power come from the Lord. It is Him that we focus upon today. Again, I don't know what you're feeling or facing today, but when you look to Jesus, He will send His angels to minister to your life. So the house of God was a place of revelation of God's presence, of the person of Jesus, of the ministry of angels, but it was also a place of revelation of God's purposes for our lives. God's purposes for our lives. Jacob was a self-consumed rascal. There was only one person in Jacob's life, and that was Jacob. It was all about him. He didn't deserve a revelation, and that's one of the mysteries of the great and gracious God. God didn't choose us on the basis of what we are now, but on the basis of what we would become in him. And God gave a revelation to the last person on earth in the last place that you would ever expect that God would give that revelation in the middle of a desert. Jacob had sought spiritual realities, but he'd gone about it the wrong way. Nevertheless, God said to him, verse 13, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. In other words, I am your God. Jacob had deceptively sought the inheritance of the firstborn. And now God says, verse number 13 again, I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. He's not even married. And yet God says to him, verse 14, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west, the east, the north and the south. He's done nothing but rip people off his whole life. And yet God says, all people on earth are going to be blessed through you and your offspring. He's alone and he's vulnerable and he's uncertain about the future. Yet God says in verse number 15, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. What does that mean for us here today? May this reality strike our lives. We may, we may feel like the most unworthy, unlovable person upon this planet today. But I want to say you may have been in the wrong places at the wrong time. But Jesus in his love reaches out to us by his spirit. And may we too, like Jacob, become aware that our life is a life of purpose. That God has a plan and purpose for our lives. We too, through Jesus, have an inheritance 
inheritance that is eternal. We too, through Jesus, are never alone. He is with us in our journey. We too, through Jesus, have a promise of fruitfulness and blessing and divine presence and divine protection and divine direction in our lives until the very end of the age. May we understand today, even though we may have been a rascal in the wrong places at the wrong time and far from God, that we have a divine purpose in Jesus Christ and by His grace and by His power, we can fulfill that purpose in Him. So the house of God is a place of revelation of His presence, of the person of Jesus, of the ministry of angels and our purpose in life. But according to this passage, what else do we discover is a characteristic of the house of God? What is the house of God? Number three, the house of God is a place of unity. The house of God is a place of unity. In verse number 22 we read, And this stone that I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house. So what is the spiritual significance of this? One of the New Testament pictures of the church is as the body of Christ. The church is a part of Christ. As believers, we are in Christ and Christ is inside of us. And the Apostle Peter said, or wrote, in 1, 1, 1, 1 Peter 2 verses 4 and 5, he said, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What, what, what was Peter saying here? Before we knew Jesus, we were dead stones, but we were touched by the living stone who is Jesus, and we became part of him. The life of Christ came into this dead stone, but now he is building me into a living temple with you to become living stones, but we are not just called to do our own independent thing, but to be part of this living house, this, this body, this house of God. And even though we are all individual stones, we are to be one. And the New Testament church is to be one body. I would suggest today that you are not a member of this church. You are a limb of this church. It is not membership. It is limbship. When you are part of a church, you are connected. When you're part of a body, you are connected. You are attached. You are committed. It's like marriage. For better, for worse, in sickness and in health, to richer, for poorer, till death do us part. And so we are part of that, the life of this house, part of its ministry, part of its future. As long as we breathe, we give ourselves 1,000% to this house. This is body. This is fellowship. This is New Testament church. And may we foster and protect our unity. A number of years ago, we had a guest speaker from Britain in our church in Melbourne. And he stood up, and when he stood up, he had a doll in his hands, like the one that will be up, up here, hopefully that it will come. There it is. He had a doll in his hands, and he had a pair of scissors in the other. And he started by saying, hello, it's great to be here today. And while he's talking, he cuts off a leg of the doll. And you could see people going gasping and looking at each other like, what is he doing? 
he has no reference to the doll at all. And then he keeps talking about how great it is to be in Australia. And while he's talking, he cuts off the arm of the doll. And again, you can just hear people just going, what is this guy doing? And people are shifting in their seat. Then he continues to talk about uh, some other things, about cricket or banter or something. And then he cuts off the head of the doll. And by now, people are really uncomfortable. What is this guy doing severing this doll? And all of a sudden, he held up the doll and said, some of you are more concerned about this doll than you are with the body of Christ that is being ripped apart by division. So he said, today, I want to talk to you about unity. And there was a very powerful way. And I want to say, friends, everybody heard what he had to say on that day because it was a powerful moment. And there are many things that, that, that divide us. But I would encourage you today, don't focus upon the things that divide us, but on the things that unite us, that we are all purchased by the same blood of Jesus, that we are all indwelt by the same spirit of Jesus, that we are all redeemed by the same Savior who is Jesus. And today there are many things like mandates and vaccines that divide the church friends that should not divide us I pray that we'll be more concerned about our unity and remembering also that in the new 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 testament church it's not just about great meetings but about the authenticity of our relationships your true new testament church is not just great meetings but the community that we have one with another and there is a strong commitment to be committed one one to the other have a think about all the one another's in the word of god therefore we have a responsibility to preserve and to protect our unity and oneness i urge you today i caution you today to guard against division and divisive people to watch out for and watch over each other's lives, to serve and exercise our gifts, to disciple the young and restore the strays. Do all that you can to bring that great sense of unity in Jesus' name. Jesus looked down through the centuries when he prayed what we call his great high priestly prayer. And in John chapter 17, verse number 21, listen to the prayer of Jesus, that all of them, Maybe one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, that they may be one as we are one, may they be brought to complete unity. And here is my prayer today. May the individual people who are called and joined by God to this house, may they be committed to one another and to his house and his purposes. May we each have an unshakable, uncompromising unity. And may we fearlessly and fervently foster and protect our unity. And may we today, in the words of Jesus, be one even as he is one. And as this church gets bigger, may it get smaller. And may we have such a love for one another that people in our society can't find relationships like it like they can in this church and may we be known today by our unity demonstrated in supporting and encouraging and giving and praying and enjoying and celebrating and laughing and crying and doing life together may we be one even as he is one this is the house of God number four a fourth thing I see in the Word of God that, that describes what, what is the house of God is this. Number four, the house of God is a place of anointing. The house of God is a place of anointing. In verse 18 of our text, it reads there, Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar, and he poured oil on, on top of it. And in Scripture, 
Oil is a symbol for the work and the ministry and the power of the Spirit of God. And this is the first reference in the Bible to oil and consecration. That that signified the separating or the sanctifying of something for a sacred purpose. That when he poured out that oil, he was setting it apart for a sacred purpose. And the symbolism for us is profound. For as far as the house of God is concerned, the Holy Spirit is not an optional extra. We can never be what God has called us to be or do what God has called us to do without the mighty fullness and empowering of the Holy Spirit. We can have structures and we can have programs and we we can have the buildings right, but unless the Spirit is poured out upon it, it is just a structure, it is just a program, it is just a building. We need the Holy Spirit. For example, the tabernacle in the Old Testament was perfect in every way it was built according to the pattern that God had given it but it was not the house of God until oil was poured in every part of it and have a think about the Lord himself he had a divine conception a supernatural birth and great learning but he did not commence his ministry until the heaven opened and the spirit descended on him like a dove and from that point on he was anointed for ministry Acts 10, verse number 38 reads, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good and healing all those who are under the power of the devil because the Lord was with him. Friends, today we need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And on this Pentecost Sunday, we need the sacred oil to be poured out upon our lives that we would be empowered and enabled to be what he's called us to be and to do what God has called us to do. I urge you today before we leave these doors to open up your heart and open up your life and say, God, we need your spirit today. We need a fresh touch. And here is my prayer. May this church know a special and a unique outpouring of the Holy Spirit to touch the city, the nation and nations. May the empowering of the Holy Spirit energize each and every gift that's in this house. May this house be filled with healing power, anointed preaching, anointed worship, empowered witnessing. May every person that forms this local body be filled with divine enablement to serve in their God-given and God-appointed place so that this house may rise to its full redemptive potential in Jesus' name. For the house of God is supposed to be a place of anointing. And number five, the last one and the shortest one. The house of God is also to be a place of giving, a place of giving. In response to the revelation, Jacob made a vow, a part of which is found in verse number 22, when he said, of all that you will give me, I will give you a tenth. Though the house of God was to be a place of giving. Jacob recognized that God was the giver of all things. And in recognition that he was a steward of things that had been provided to him by God, Jacob vowed to give God a tenth as his father or his grandfather Abraham had done. And this was all before the law of Moses, before it became a part of the expression of God's people. In a New Testament sense, we are stewards, we are caretakers of things that have been entrusted to us. Everything belongs to God. He is the owner of all things. And in recognition of that, we say, Lord, we want to be a giver before you. 
But the New Testament doesn't just teach tithing, though Jesus affirmed that. And we would regard it as a great discipline. And to me, I use it as a baseline of giving. The New Testament teaches proportional giving, generosity and sacrifice. It teaches that we must give with a willing, loving and thankful heart. It teaches intentional, thoughtful, planned and regular giving. And I'm reminded of that quote of John Wesley who once said, I, I paraphrase it, he said, make as much as you can, save all you can, and give away all you can. And I would encourage you to pray and, and ask God to help you to be a great steward for him. And if we have truly been to God's house, if we have truly encountered his presence, if we have truly come to Jesus, who's the foot of the stairway, then not only will our heart be touched, but our wallet will be touched as well. And here is my prayer. May this house know supernatural provision. May every person called to this place be blessed to be a blessing. May they be wise and responsible in their stewardship. And may this church have more than enough to do what God has called you, you to do. So in conclusion today, let me summarize it. We've been asking the question, well, what, what, is, what is the house of God? And we've seen five things. Number one, we've seen that the house of God is any place where we meet with God. And I encourage you to open up your heart in your everyday world to truly form that place, that meeting place with, with, with the Lord. We saw secondly that the house of God is a place of revelation a place of revelation of the presence of god of the person of jesus of the ministry of angels and a place where we understand our purpose in this life number three we see that the house of god is a place of unity that we are all called to be one even as he is one let's guard our hearts let's guard that unity in jesus name number four that the house of God is to be a place of anointing, a place where the Spirit is poured out. And this Pentecost Sunday, as I close, what I'd love us to do is just open up our heart to God and just say, Lord, I need a fresh touch of the Holy Spirit. But that will translate into us having a giving heart to help the poor, to help others, to do what we can to be part of God's house as well. Would you mind standing with me please today? Could I just invite you please to close, to close your eyes, just to, to block out distractions around about us. Let me ask a question I always ask. Out of all that I've said today, what was the one thing that was the word of the Lord to you? What was the one thought or scripture or principle that really went into your heart today? What's the one thing? that you need to do about what I've been speaking about today. Can I encourage you, please, just to respond to the Lord and talk to Him about the one thing that He was speaking to you about today. Please, just take a moment, because we're in His house. We're gathered in His name. He is here. Just open up your heart to Him and just talk to Him in intimacy about whatever He's speaking to you about today. And then I want to pray for a mighty infilling of God's Spirit.
Let's begin to enter in through our worship and through our praise. We give glory to you. We give honor to you. We lift our voice to you, the living God. You are the Savior. You are Redeemer. You are God. God of infinite power. God of infinite grace. A God of great love. We enter in, Lord. We enter in today. We give you glory. We come to Jesus, the foot of the ladder, Lord. We give our, our lives to Jesus. We praise Jesus. We open up our hearts to Jesus. We look to you, Jesus. We give honor to you, Jesus. Oh, come on, friends. Lift your voice and praise Jesus today. Declare who he is. Declare what he has done. Jesus, 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 our Savior, our Redeemer, our all. We look to you. We thank you that, Lord. You are the stairway. You are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. No one comes to the Father but through you, Jesus. We thank you today. You are our hope. You are our life. You are everything. Oh, God, we look to you today in Jesus' name. Would you please just raise your hands with me today? And I just want to pray for a fresh infilling of the Spirit and then going to hand back to Pastor Joseph. Oh, God, we are hungry for you. Oh, God, we are hungry for you. We need your touch. We need a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit, Lord. We need a fresh empowering of your Spirit in our lives today. Oh, God, we open our hearts to you. We need your Spirit. Oh, Lord, today I pray that you would touch your people with your mighty power, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit upon the lives of people that are here today. I pray that they would be filled with your Spirit, Lord, and overflowing with you. I pray for a fresh touch. I pray, Lord, for refreshing. I pray for renewal. I pray for living rivers of living water to begin to flow out of their lives, Father. I pray, God, for that river of living water to flow, Lord, today. Touch us, Lord. Oh, we need your touch this Pentecost Sunday. Lord, we need your spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your Holy Spirit.